How uh, do you feel or what thoughts run through your head when you receive a warning? I don't know if you've gotten one lately, an official warning or just some kind of warning. Um, the reason uh, we're thinking about this is because I think the nature of warnings are such that they're good things, right? They're good because they come before the bad thing, but ultimately it's a warning that if you don't change your attitudes or your actions, something bad's going to happen. Uh, I've been receiving these from Telstra lately. Uh, pretty much twice a month, I get a warning message from Telstra. I don't enjoy seeing these messages but I am kind of glad that they come. So the first one says it's been three days and you're 50% over your data limit or through your data. If you keep going the way you're going, it's going to end badly for you. If you're with Telstra, I'm sure you know the feeling. It's a warning, uh, right? I'm not happy to receive that, but I am grateful that Telstra give me them. Then the next one comes, and the next one's just slightly worse. It says now you're 85% through your data. You need to change. If you don't change your attitude or your actions... If you don't change the way you use the internet here, you're going to have to pay some more money. It's a warning, right? And the nature of these things is such that they're good. They're good because they come before the bad stuff. They're preventative. But ultimately, they're kind of hard or difficult to take because it means that we need to change. Now, look, I get it. With a phone, I mean, it's not that big a deal. Sometimes in other places in life, we get warnings that are bigger than that and, and harder to take than that. I mean, sometimes it's our phone. Sometimes it's kind of the, the seatbelt on a plane saying that there's turbulence coming. So, sometimes it's uh, in our car with our fuel light or whatever it is. But, but sometimes it's more serious than that. Sometimes it's a warning from the doctor, right? You, you see, like, in this space, warnings can be light and, and hard. I mean, like a phone, they're, they're good. I mean, we don't really listen to it. But sometimes they can be more difficult to take when they're from like a doctor. But ultimately, what we know about warnings is that they're good because they're preventative. They're good because they come before the bad stuff happens, but often they're actually hard to take. Now, now the reality is, as we come here to this passage today, and we heard it read before, Mark 4 kind of acts like a warning. It's a warning to us, which means as we dig into this passage, what we're going to see is that this is a good passage for us to hear. It's a good passage. It's good that we are here this morning and that we can hear God's word. We can hear Mark 4. But ultimately, this passage isn't just going to be good and easy for us to take. If we hear God's words, it's actually going to be hard for us and challenging for us. Because this morning, it's going to warn us that if we don't change our actions and our attitudes, something bad could happen. We see that in this passage. So I want to invite you to join with me on this warning. It's good, but it's going to be hard. So let's pick it up in chapter 4. We pick it up from verse 1, and we start to understand what this warning is. Uh, verse 1, we see this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So the picture is basically, I guess, like this today, except I'd be in a boat. Jesus is teaching from the boat to the people that are listening to him. And he speaks to them in verse 2, and he taught them in many things by parables. Now, a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning. It has a deeper meaning, and that deeper meaning often was to shock people and to stir people. That's the nature of a parable. It was given to shock and stir people. And Jesus' parable is this. Basically, he says, a farmer came, threw some seed on the path. Birds came in, ate that seed up, it didn't grow. Then he threw some seed on rocky places. The seed grew up, but the, ground, the, the soil, it was a shallow soil, so when the sun came, it scorched and died. 
Then there was seed that was thrown among thorns and weeds, and that grew up and looked good, but the thorns made it unfruitful. Then finally the seed was in good soil. It produced 30, 60, 100 fold. That's his parable. Now remember, a parable is a story that was often given with a deeper meaning to shock and stir people. So Jesus isn't giving us agricultural advice here. We get that. He's not telling us if you want a good garden in the back of your, at the back of your house, buy some good soil. Um, go to Bunnings, get some good soil, put the seed in that good soil. Don't simply throw it on the path. That is good advice if you're looking for it, but that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what he's getting at here. So, so what does this parable mean? How do we understand this parable? Well, let's let Jesus do that for us in a moment. But before we get there, there's a couple of things just from this bit that we've got to see. The first thing is that Jesus is the farmer. In this parable, Jesus is the farmer. We understand that um, from the nature of when Jesus explains the parable. He says the seed is the word of God. Jesus already claimed to be God. right? He's the one who speaks the word of God. So Jesus is the farmer. We also see this, I think it's kind of interesting too, when he says, uh, uses the language that the farmer went out to seed. It's the same language Jesus used of himself where he said, let's go preach for that is why I came. Jesus is the farmer in this story. Right? That's the first thing that we've got to see. The second thing that we've got to see is this kind of language of hearing. We, we see that in verse 9. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, Jesus isn't literally speaking about the idea of listening, right? That, that's not the idea that Jesus is getting at. He's more actually getting at the idea of understanding. Now, now even we use this uh, language today. So if you've been in an argument lately in your home, or you might simply call it a discussion, and it gets heated and to the moment where eventually someone says, no, you're not listening to me. Now, they're not saying you're not literally hearing me, are they? I mean, if that's your reaction, I can hear you. That, that's not going to go well either. They're saying in that moment, you don't understand what I'm saying. You don't get it. This is what Jesus is speaking about here. And it's pretty key that we get this idea that when he speaks of hearing, the idea is understanding. It's key that we get it because from verse 1 to verse 34, this language, hearing or listening, comes up over 14 times in this passage. So it's key that we get this. The idea is understanding. Now, why is it important that we understand what Jesus is saying? Well, Jesus shows us from verse 10 to 12. He shows us why it's so important that we hear Jesus, that we understand him. Verse 10, he says this. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now, now I get that we have to stop here and talk about this passage, but it's crucial that we don't get caught up on it. I understand that, that this passage here, none of us have in picture frames in our houses. None of us have this passage on the welcome mats coming into our homes because as we read it, it, it doesn't sit that well with us. And the reason it doesn't is because Jesus uses the language of insiders and outsiders. The insiders are those who hear and understand, who, who get the secrets of the kingdom of God, but the outsiders are those that get parables. And, and, and their hope is that they never understand. That doesn't really sit well with us. The whole idea of insiders and outsiders 
Whether it's the baggage that we've held from school, the whole like insiders and outsiders thing that just never sat well with us and we hate that idea culturally, or whether it's more closer to home, that we know people who don't know Jesus and, and are outsiders. So this language even more doesn't sit with us. So, so what is this saying? And that now, it's key that we don't get caught up on this because we could spend the next 30 minutes speaking about it. But the big thing here is that, the, 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 I guess, the, the trick to this passage or the thing that helps us understand this is really this question, what makes someone an insider? What makes someone an insider when it comes to God's kingdom? Is it their sporting ability? Is it their looks? Is it their mind and how smart they are? Is it their skin color or their religious background? Because if it is, then we'd all say that's pretty horrible. But that's not what makes an insider. That's not what makes someone on, an, on, on the inside in terms of Jesus and his kingdom know an insider it's not someone got to do with race or religious background or experience or color of your skin. What makes someone an insider is simply their ability to hear and understand Jesus. It's what an insider is, someone who hears the message of Jesus, understands it, and responds to him. That's what an insider is. Now, there is some baggage here culturally. I mean, the, the Jews constantly rejected the prophecies and the prophets that Jesus gave. Then Jesus rocks up and the religious guys, right? They, I mean, they already want to kill him. We're four chapters in, we're six talks in, and the religious guys already want to kill Jesus. There's some of that that Jesus is speaking in here, going, okay, they want to kill me, I'm going to keep speaking in parables. But, but key for us here is what makes an insider and simply someone who hears and understands Jesus. Now, that's important that we understand that, that we get that. An insider is someone who hears and understands Jesus, and, and to be an insider, that's open to anyone. And there's, there's no one that can't be. Until we see Jesus face to face, that option is available for us. So, so the importance of hearing, of understanding is, is pretty key here. It's pretty crucial here. So we get this parable, we get why it's important that we hear, now we want to know what the parable says, right? What's the parable getting at? Is it agricultural? Is, it, is that what it's getting at? Well, those who hear and understand Jesus are sitting at Jesus' feet and say, Jesus, can you tell us about this? And we get their explanation. We pick it up from verse 13. Uh, we get Jesus' explanation to them. He said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. What does this parable mean? Or more than that, what is the warning that Jesus is giving us? The, the warning and the parable is that there are four responses to Jesus, but only one of them is the right response. We see that from the fact that Jesus is the farmer who sows the seed, which is the word in verse 14. As the seed goes into the soil, it becomes the people, and then what we see is the people's responses. And the first response is that on the path. 
God's message, the message of Jesus goes out and people instantly reject it. They, they reject it. Now we're told Satan comes in and takes it. It shouldn't surprise us. Our battle's not flesh and blood alone. It shouldn't surprise us that, that the enemy is involved in this, but people straight out reject it. Now, now I know that we've seen this in our lives and in our world, um, but throughout Mark we also see this. So some of the people that instantly reject Jesus that could be described in this first soil might be the, the Pharisees, the religious guys. I mean, again, they already want to kill Jesus. Instantly reject him. That's the first sort. The second uh, group of people are those in shallow ground, the, the rocky places. They have no depth in their faith, and so when hard times come, they fall away. Now, now throughout Mark, who could this be? It could be the crowds, right? Throughout Mark, we see the crowds uh, love Jesus. They want to find out more about Jesus. They listen to Jesus. But as time goes on, when hard times come, the crowds are the one who yell out, crucify Jesus. Right? But regardless of whether or not it is the crowds, I mean, this group of people is those who have no depth in their faith and so fall away. Then there's the third group, the third group who mess with the, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, give their heart over to these things. These are the weeds that come in and choke them out to make them unfruitful. Again, throughout Mark, I mean, this could be any of the rich young rulers where Jesus says, go and sell your stuff and they walk away sad. Or, or it actually could be someone like Judas, who follows Jesus and then sells his soul for gold, gives up on him. The, the, the deceitfulness of riches choke in, choke them out. That's the third group of people. The final group of people is those in good soil. And, and they bear fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. This is what the parable means. Four responses, but only one of those, the last response, is the right one. And this is why this is a warning to us. Right? The, the challenge is there for us. That the, There is actually something here we need to think about and wrestle with because there are four responses, but only one of them is right. Now, the question we have to ask, though, is, is this a warning that we have to listen to? That's the question to ask because not all warnings are warnings we have to listen to. Telstra messages to me I no longer listen to. Um, if you've signed up to the Bureau of Meteorology, Meteorology, uh, they're messages that they send out uh, about warnings for storms and stuff like that. All right, it's coming up summer. Well, it felt like it was here this week, but it's coming up soon. We're all going to get those messages again from the bomb telling us that a severe thunderstorm is coming. Now, I don't know if you've watched that, but we get those messages. We're waiting for the storm and then nothing comes. That's not really a warning we listen to anymore. I mean, maybe you think we should still listen to that. We do shut the windows but, but not every warning is, is one that we have to listen to. Right? The, the seatbelt on a plane, when you get told there's turbulence, maybe you're someone who does put the seatbelt on. Maybe you're not. Not all warnings we have to listen to. So, so is this a warning we have to listen to? Is this on the level of kind of a doctor giving us advice or a warning on how to save our life? Or is this Telstra? Or, or what we're going to see as we keep moving through this passage. Now, we'll get back to these responses in a moment. We'll wrestle with this warning and what it means for us in a moment. But before we do, what we're going to see is that Jesus wants us to see that this warning matters because of two things. As we keep moving through this passage, Jesus tells a few more parables. And what he wants to show us is that his words matter, that this is a warning we need to listen to. And the reason is for two things, two reasons. The first one is because of the king, the nature of who Jesus is. The second one is because of the kingdom. This warning isn't Telstra. Right? This isn't the, the phone, this isn't a car, this is more important than that. This is more important than that because of the nature of the king and the kingdom. 
And the first one we see is in verse 21, the nature of the king, the nature of Jesus. He said to them this, Do you bring in a lamp uh, to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more, whoever has will be given more, whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. The first reason Jesus' warning from verse 13 to 20 matters is because of the nature of the king, the nature of Jesus. Now, now this parable, like I understand, the more you read it, the, like it's wordy, it's a little bit confusing. The more you read it, the more it kind of does your head in a little bit. Um, but, but that was kind of the nature of parables. right? They're, they're spoken so that some can hear and some can't. Um, but, but how do we understand this parable? Well, the key to understanding this parable is who the lamp is. If we get that, the rest of the parable unlocks itself. And what we know about the lamp throughout the Old Testament is that the lamp was God. God in the Old Testament, the one who would enlighten and reveal the truth. Here, Jesus has come, already claimed to be God. So what we see then is that Jesus is the lamp. He is the light. He is the one who enlightens and the one who reveals the truth. Now, I don't know if this is where the the saying, the light bulb moment came from. But this is kind of the idea here. Right now, a light bulb moment, some of us have them more often than others. But a light bulb moment is, is one of those moments where we don't understand something, the lights come on, and then all of a sudden we get it, right? We've all had them. Jesus essentially is saying here that he is the light bulb moment. He is the one that reveals things to us that we previously didn't know, previously didn't understand. So what is Jesus revealing? Well, he's showing us the things about God. He's showing us that that he's revealing the truth about God. He's enlightening us. He's described elsewhere as the image of the invisible God. He's the one who reveals and enlightens. And if we lift him up to the place where he belongs, if we see him as who he is, then all of a sudden we start to see what God is like. Jesus shows us, he reveals to us what God is like. So so when we see Jesus, we see that we have a compassionate God. A compassionate God who cares for the outcasts and the broken. Who hangs out with the people we reject. When we see Jesus, we see that we have a gracious God. Who doesn't give us what we deserve, but a God who gives us what we don't deserve. When we see Jesus, we see a God who doesn't cripple us who doesn't want to poison us, but a God who wants us to flourish. When we see Jesus, we see a God that doesn't want to burden us by the weight of religion, but a God who wants to free us to know that everything we need to to know and have for God in eternal life is found in Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see we have a loving and a just God. We see we have a God who loves us enough to come and die for us, but a God who is just He doesn't just ignore or forget our sin, but goes to the cross and pays for it. As we see Jesus, we start to see what God is like. He's the light. The lights come on. But but the crazy thing is, when we see Jesus, we don't just see what God is like. We see what we are like. We start to recognize who Jesus is and, and how he's the king and how the world operates. We start to see how we fit into this world. We start to see that that God doesn't just love people, but he loves me. 
Start to see why I have a purpose and why I exist. Why I'm here, where I fit into this world. What purpose I have. Jesus is the light bulb moment. He's the one that reveals and enlightens the truth about God and this world. When we hold Jesus up and see him, and when we see more about Jesus, the reality is more and more is given to us. He says, you, you put a lamp on a stand, you don't just hide it under a bowl. You know, if we were to turn the lights off in here, what's going to happen? It gets dark. If Jesus is the light, he reveals the truth about God, we know that if we don't see Jesus, then we actually see in darkness. Now, don't we see this in our world where people are looking for answers, searching for answers in darkness, searching for meaning and purpose, searching for answers to why am I here and why do I exist and who am I? But they're looking in darkness. I think the saddest place that we see these is in funerals. I don't know if you caught that in the last couple of weeks. Les Murray, the soccer commentator, passed away. And his funeral was last week, I think. And Craig Foster, the, the guy that commentated with him. And, and for those of us who watch soccer, I mean, Les Murray was this guy that we watched from childhood commentate. It was you know, like any celebrity. I mean, you just can't believe that they're gone in some ways. Craig Foster, though, at the funeral... I mean, it was the saddest thing. He used words like, um, Les preached, these were his words, he preached the gospel of football to Australia. He said he evangelized Australia for soccer. And then at the end of it, he said that he can't wait to, see, to, to commentate with Les on the beautiful game in heaven. That's heartbreaking. Our world is looking for answers, but they're looking in darkness. And it should break our hearts. We shouldn't get angry that people are looking for answers in the wrong places. Jesus is the light. He shows us who God is and he shows us why we're here and what God thinks about us. He's the light that reveals the truth that God cares and that he loves us. The truth that, that eternal life is not some distant, vague hope but a real, firm reality. Jesus is the light who reveals. So when we think about, is this a warning that we need to respond to, that we need to think about? The first thing that Jesus wants to show us is that it is because of who Jesus is. The second reason it's a warning, though, that we have to listen to is as Jesus speaks, continues to speak on, um, is because of the nature of the kingdom, of his kingdom. We see that from verse 26. Uh, he says, he gives us a couple more parables here. Both are saying, basically, speaking about the same topic with the same picture, actually, but they're saying slightly different things. So in verse 26, he wants to show us the nature of the kingdom. And he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Then he says this, a man scatters some seed 
right? It could be a farmer again, scatters some seed night and day. He doesn't understand um, what's going on, but he knows that seed grows um, all by itself. It grows, and then finally it's going to result in the harvest. Jesus' big thing here is that the kingdom of God is growing. It's growing, and it's going to end in judgment. That's what the harvest is. It's growing, and it's going to end in judgment, right? Even though it doesn't look like it's a big thing, it still is a big thing. Right? I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. So the Jews were expecting this explosion on the scene, this king to come in power and authority and, and take the Romans by power. They were expecting the kingdom to come in, in an explosive way. But Jesus says, no, that's not how the kingdom came. In fact, what should we describe the kingdom? He says, a seed. It didn't come onto this scene in mass, in mass power. It came on quietly. Like a seed. I mean, at Christmas, we celebrate that the fact that God is born as a baby. This is a quiet thing, but, but the thing is that even though it's a quiet thing, it's still growing, and it's still going to end in judgment. The, the challenge for us is that even if you don't see the kingdom, if you don't see God's kingdom, it doesn't mean that it's not there. And it doesn't mean that judgment isn't going to happen. It's growing. It's still growing. That's the first thing. The kingdom of God is, is actually happening. Then the second one, he says again in verse um, 30, he says, so what should we say the kingdom of God's like? Again, it's like a seed, but this time it's not on the fact that the seed is growing. It's on the fact that it's going to grow into something big. It's going to grow into a mustard tree. Is that right? <laughs> it's going to grow into a mustard tree. I guess it does. Um, it's a mustard seed. It's going to grow into this big tree. It's going to be so big that birds are going to even live in it. And Jesus' point here there is that this seed is going to grow into something big. Now, now again, he's kind of saying it doesn't matter if it looks small. Eventually, it's going to be big, right? Like so, and, and you can imagine the disciples sitting there with the 12. There's 12 of them, and then there's a few others around. Jesus is saying this thing might look small, but it's going to get big. And, and we sit in the point of view where we've actually seen it get big, right? I mean, billions of people today say that they're Christians. And that's a big thing that's happened. But I think what's going to happen when we finally see Jesus face to face is that we might even look on today and say this kingdom is still in its early forming years. This tree was barely growing. That's how big the kingdom of God will be because that's the thing. It doesn't matter if you expect something big here and now. Jesus is saying it, it, it will be big. The nature of the kingdom is such that it's growing, that it's happening, that it's real, and that it's going to be big. It's going to be a massive thing. Right, so, so we can see now the reason we have to listen to the warning is because of the nature of both the king and the kingdom. It doesn't matter if you want to uh, acknowledge that or acknowledge that the kingdom is here. Jesus is saying the king is here and the kingdom is here. So this is the reason why we have to take this warning seriously. It's not Telstra. It's not a plain seatbelt sign. This is the God of the universe giving us a warning. And it's good because it's not coming too late. But ultimately, it's hard because it's saying that our attitudes and our actions might need to change. And what is that warning? Well, the warning is there are four responses to God and only one of them is right. The four responses, we saw it before. The first one is the one who rejects. The one on the pathway who simply hear the message of Jesus and ignore it. The first response that we can make is that we can dismiss Jesus. Now, now, we spoke about that last week, that the, way, the only logical way to dismiss Jesus is by calling him a liar, a lunatic, or a legend. He's either uh, lying to us and just a great magician, he's either a lunatic and out of his mind, or he's either made up. 
Right? If we're going to dismiss Jesus, that's the only logical way that we can go. Um, and, and if you're going to do that, I mean, our heart is that you wouldn't do that. And we'd love to try and wrestle with that and talk through that stuff. But if you are going to do that, the challenge is you're going to have to do something. And we looked at this last week. Something with the fact that even Jesus' enemies acknowledged his miracles. To kind of show that he's not this liar. He's not, he's not healing people as this great magic show. But the biggest thing ultimately is his resurrection. Did Jesus rise from the dead? If he rose from the dead, then he's not uh, a lunatic. And if he did, I mean, if you can find the evidence there, if you can be 100% sure that he didn't, um, tell us. Tell us about it, because we'll do something else with our Sunday mornings. Or, or finally, a legend made up. But if you're going to do that, I mean, we have to do something with the fact that it took months, uh, sorry, generations, for legend to develop in the ancient world. Um, but we have eyewitness accounts within months. So, so you can dismiss Jesus. I mean, that's the first option. That's the soil there that just ignores it, the pathway there. Um, if you're here this morning and you're not sure about Jesus, we want to encourage you to keep wrestling with this. We want to encourage you not to dismiss him. We want to encourage you to, to actually accept him and believe in him because of who he is. And we'd love to help you figure out exactly what that means. Find any one of us. We'd love to help you do that. Um, that's the first thing, if that's you. But if you are here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian, you, you accept the message of Jesus, then what's the warning for us? What's the challenge for us? Well, the warning for us is that we could actually be one of these next three responses. We're not simply um, the only the last response. The warning and the challenge for us is that we could be any one of these three responses. And so we need to feel this and feel the weight of the challenge here because it is the king speaking to us in the nature of the kingdom. So, so the first response is the shallow ground. This is those who hear the word of God, they accept it, but they don't grow in their faith and after time they fall away. Now we see this often at Christian camps. Um, we go on this camp called Fun and Adventure as a youth. We see this every single year. Uh, kids come, they accept the message of Jesus, uh, they, they look like they love it, and then the next year, we go, we speak to them again, and we talk to them, how's your faith going? And they say, I don't have a faith, I didn't keep going, I fell away. Often what happens is they'll make another commitment at that point, right, at the end of that camp. Now, now as someone who's not in their shoes, it's obvious why. It's obvious every time, the three things, it's, it's, it's the same with every single one of them. One, they didn't get connected into a good church. Two, they didn't make good Christian friends. And, and three, they just didn't grow in their faith. It's obvious when you're not in their shoes. The challenge comes, though, when you're in those shoes. The challenge comes when it's happening to you. It's not so easy to see. And so here's the warning for us. If we're not growing in our faith, we are in danger of shallow ground, which means we are in danger of falling away. You see that? You hear Jesus' warning here? If we're not growing in our faith, we're in danger of a shallow faith, which means we're in danger of falling away. This is why here at church, we promote things like growth groups. This is why we promote things like women's ministry, conferences, this is why we promote things like um, youth group, and getting your kids along to kids' church. This is why we, we want to encourage consistency at church. It's not, 
It's not so we can have numbers, bums on seats. It's not so that we can make more work for us. It's because we want to be a church that is growing in our faith. Because the danger is real. Shallow ground is there. And if we're in shallow ground, we're in danger of falling away. So some questions to ask of ourselves if we're in this shallow ground. The first question is, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your faith? Practically speaking, are you creating space in your week to grow in your faith? Are you carving out time in your day to spend time with Jesus, pursuing God? Are you actively pursuing Christian friends? Are you meeting in a growth group? I hope you can see that the reason we promote stuff like growth groups isn't so that we would have more numbers of people in growth groups just for the sake of it or have more work for ourselves. Growth groups are a chance where we can meet with other Christians and encourage each other to keep growing so that we can not be Christians in this shallow ground. And, and if you're not in a growth group, ask the question, why not? I know that life is busy. I know that it's hard to make time for this stuff, but, but you feel the weight of what Jesus is saying, right? The danger of shallow ground is that we can fall away. This, this stuff matters. I mean, it, what good is it? I mean, we want to pursue Christ until we see him face to face. It, it would be heartbreakingly sad to fall away before we get to see him. So the warning and the challenge is to keep growing. Then, then we see those in soil where the weeds grow up and choke them out. And Jesus said these weeds, uh, weeds are the worry, worries of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the pursuit of other things. Now again, it's easy to see when it's happening in other people. Um, it's Actually, it's really easy to see in kind of people who are out in the news and the media in front of us. So uh, a couple of, or just one example of this is Guy Sebastian. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, a few years ago, won Australian Idol. It was probably more than a few years ago now. But when he won, um, was claiming that, you know, he's a Christian. We were celebrating. We wanted him to win. And then after five or so years, actually came out publicly and said, I'm no longer a Christian. Now, it's easy to see why. I mean, you get riches, and it happens so much to these people. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, it comes in and it chokes people out. It's easy to see when it's happening to someone else, but the challenge is when it happens to us. It's harder to see when it happens to us. And we are more concerned with the worries of this world than the worries of God's kingdom. We are more concerned with things going on in our life than we are with our faith. We're more concerned with other people's external actions than what, what's going on in other people's hearts. Where we're more worried about our health and our money and our comfort and our security than we are about God. And then there's the deceitfulness of riches. It's how Jesus describes riches. The reality is riches and wealth, is, they're deceitful. They make promises they can't keep. 
They promise you happiness and they deliver nothing. They, they say to you, if you can just get that next promotion, right, you'll be happy. And then we get it and we aren't and we wonder why. It's because riches are deceitful. They promise us something that it just can't deliver. It promises us happiness. If you can just get that bigger car or that bigger house or even just that home loan to a level, we'll be happy. But, but riches are deceitful. It promises something that it just can't deliver. So Jesus says, be aware of this. Be warned of this. Now, this is one of the reasons we spoke about it earlier in the service. This is one of the reasons why at church we speak about giving. It's not the only reason. It may not even be the main reason. But when we give here at church, not only is it a reminder to God that we're doing what he's called us to, it's a reminder that money and riches don't rule me. I'm not going to be fooled by that. They can't give me joy and happiness. Something only found in God. But these things, it's easier to see when it's happening in other people. It's hard when it's happening to us. Now, I realized this week that this was me. Realized this week that I have been finding my identity in things like success and what people think of me rather than in God. I've been more concerned that the biggest anxiety of my last few months are what people think about me. See how that chokes fruitfulness. I'm not thinking about God. I'm not resting in the fact of what God thinks about me. So let's ask some questions to see whether this is us. In the last few months, what have been your biggest wins? What are the things that you are most proud of in the last few months? Is it something to do with the kingdom of God or, or what's going on around us? What are your biggest celebrations? What are the things that you have enjoyed the most in the last few months? What are your biggest worries? What are the biggest anxieties? not to say those things aren't real or true. But if we're more concerned with the kingdom of this world than the kingdom of God, we will be choked out, unfruitful. I don't think, I don't know if this is true, but, but I think one of the most dangerous places in the world right now where this is true is in Australia. A bad job is where we get 50 grand a year. This is present and evident for us. This is dangerous ground for us. And, and we need to be aware of this, of the nature of our hearts and the pursuit of things here. You see the warning? It's good, but it's hard. And then the final soil is one where the seed goes in, people accept it, and they bear fruit. This is those who deep down accept the message of Jesus inwardly. They want to live for Jesus' kingdom inwardly, and it flows outwardly. That's the way that it works. They bear fruit because of what's going on 
in their heart. These are those who accept the message and live it out. And this doesn't mean, you know, you've got to become a pastor or anything like that. This just means that in our homes and in our families, in our schools, in our workplaces, in the cafes that we go to, with the friends that we hang out with, our first desire and our deepest desire is God's kingdom. We want to live for Him, whether that's talking about Jesus or whether that's just loving people like Jesus or encouraging people to keep chasing after Jesus. Where God's kingdom is so in our heart that that's what we're thinking of in, in those moments in our lives. We're bearing fruit because we are loving like the King, living like the King. That's the final one, and that's the right response to the King and His kingdom. This passage is a warning. It's a challenge. Four responses. Only one of them is right. And this morning, the weight of this moment, I think, is real. Some of us have been challenged this morning. God has been pressing that in on our heart, that there are things that we need to come back to Him. We need to repent of. We need to turn back to Him. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Recognize that there are things that we have let ourselves go after that is going to choke us out and make us unfruitful. Some of us have realized this morning God is pressing in on our heart that our faith needs to keep growing. We recognize the danger of shallowness and see the weight of growing deeper, not just, not just accepting it. Feel that. So, so this morning what we're going to do is in a moment I'm going to pray and I'm going to live this, leave this awkward time in this prayer where, where you can actually have this chance to come back to Jesus. Whether it's the first time or whether it's the time we can't even count, to run back to Jesus, confess our sin, confess the fact that we have let our hearts go after things in this world, knowing that God is faithful and He forgives us. Ask God to forgive you and ask God to use you and ask God that He would use you as fruitful in this world. We're going to do that, and as we do that, I just want to ask the musos to take this chance as well, and then after we pray, come up. We're going to take this chance now as we pray together. God, we celebrate the fact that your word says that when we confess our sins, you are faithful to forgive us. So God, now in light of your warning, individually here, inwardly here, we want to take this chance as a church to confess our sin and run back to you. God, 
a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And as we come to you, we celebrate that you are a God of love. We see that as we look to Jesus, God of compassion, a God of kindness, a God who went to great lengths to save us. Please, Lord, forgive us of our sin and help us live for your kingdom. Please use us to bear fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.